Wow, where do I sign up? Uh, the ushers are going to be handing out cards of unreached people groups. Uh, I'd like each of you to have one. The purpose of this is prayer. So I challenge you to put it somewhere where you don't normally pray to remind you that we are the army of God. God has saved us for this purpose, that the glory, that his glory would be known in the whole world as the waters fill the sea. You know, the whole world is full of his glory, but it's not known yet in every place. And there are people waiting. Uh, Scott reminded me this morning that many of those unreached people groups live right here in our city. They're coming by droves. Uh, there are half a million Muslim people in Chicago alone, where Susanna and I live, and we were part of a group that's moving into those neighborhoods to proclaim the good news so that those who have never heard will hear the gospel. My first day on the job at Space Coast Marine Institute, there was a riot. And I stood in the middle of the yard of this program for adolescent criminals waking up and realizing that I had grown up in a Christian family. I had gone to school at a missionary school. I had gone to a Christian college and gone back and taught Christian kids. And I wanted to work with street kids. And I had no idea what that would look like. And the Lord dropped me right into a teenage riot where they were throwing mop buckets through the window and hitting people over the head with mops. And I, I realized I needed some training for the war. I hope that's kind of what we have this morning. So I've titled my message on Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, Storm the Gates. And that, of course, comes from Matthew 16, where Jesus told us, the gates of hell will not withstand the church. That doesn't mean the gates are coming after us and you need to stay safe. That means we're going against the gates and they will not stay closed at the advance of the church, which is motivated to rescue those who are behind those gates. We are to storm the gates. This is a series called A Bride Fit for the King. Uh, Jesus loves his bride, the church. Jesus loves us. So why would he put us in the middle of a war? Why would he turn his bride into an army? There's only one reason. Well, there's two. His glory is made more powerful by our weakness. He sends us out as sheep among wolves so that he will be known as the powerful God who can defeat the wolves using sheep. But there's another reason. And maybe you're missing it. It's for our blessing. The sharing and the blessing of the gospel is the growing of our faith in advancing against an unbeatable foe in our human perspective for Jesus' glory and watching him do it in front of us. Living by faith, giving sacrificially, praying and seeing our prayers answered, going to a place where we don't speak the language in order to tell people of Jesus' love, and knowing him better in the process. Not to speak of our reward in heaven when we get there. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's your reward for being part of my army. He wants to share the blessings of the gospel with us. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6 just for a minute. God is a mighty warrior, 
Exodus 15.3, Moses says, Jehovah is a man of war. Now, Moses was one of the people in the Bible who knew God the best. He came the closest to actually seeing the almighty living God. And he calls God a man of war just after God has destroyed Pharaoh and his armies in the Red Sea. Why would he do that? David also, Psalm 24, one mighty in battle, he calls God. Psalm 18, he says, for by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. I want to suggest to you that in our modern air that we breathe, the liberal assumption is that war is always bad and that anyone who is a warrior is a bad person. And so it's difficult to consider a good God, a holy God, deciding to be a warrior. He can be whatever he wants. He decided that one of the things he is, is a warrior. I'm reading a book called The Coddling of the American Mind. Coddling, not a very common word. Uh, It means numbing or making fat and comfortable in our status quo. It's written by Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt. a little bit old, 2018, but I love its premise. They say that we have fallen into a worldview of safetyism. Safety first has become our purpose for life. And that there are three great untruths in this worldview. Fragility, emotional reasoning, and an us versus them attitude. Fragility. If it doesn't kill you, it makes you weaker. So protect yourself from all risk. Don't let your children do anything that might give them any amount of trauma. And actually, psychological tests say that most trauma, not all, but most trauma actually makes you stronger. People who have been through some trauma create scars, create muscles, create thought processes that they wouldn't have if they hadn't gone through difficulty. What is emotional reasoning? It says you are what you feel, and you should always trust your emotions. We have become a society that says I feel instead of I think. Our feelings define us. I must be that because that's what I feel. And finally, an us versus them attitude where life is a battle between good people and irredeemably bad people that if we could just eliminate, everybody else could be kind and share and be nice to each other. And that is not the truth. The Bible says there is no difference. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I am just as selfish as Hitler. And I am lost without a savior in Jesus Christ. Here's what they say in a book, in the book that I'm reading. A culture that allows the concept of safety to creep so far that it equates emotional discomfort with physical danger is a culture that encourages people to systematically protect one another from the very experiences they need in order to become strong and healthy. And I would submit to you that a church that does that has the very same effect. So God commands us to go and make disciples of all nations to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth because he knows it's good for us as well as glorifying to him. And when we don't do it, 
we deprive ourselves from the very blessing of growing in faith, growing in knowledge of him, and growing in reward that he wants us to grow in through obedience. The Apostle Paul, whom he calls himself in this passage in verse 20, I hope you have your Bible open or your app open because we're going to study Ephesians 6, 10 to 20, starting right now. Verse 20, he says, I am an ambassador in chains. An ambassador of whom? An ambassador of the King of Kings. An ambassador of the Lord of Lords, of the Almighty. All authority in heaven and on earth was given to him. And he says, I'm an ambassador of this guy in chains. What does that mean? Either he's weak or the chains are part of his purpose. And so Paul is saying, I'm in war here. I'm part of the battle. Later on in his life, he says to Timothy, I've fought the good fight. Have you ever thought about the fact that there's a good fight? There's a fight that God intends to happen. There are lots of bad fights. There are lots of fights we're supposed to avoid, ways that you shouldn't fight. We're going to talk about a couple of those. He told Timothy not to get involved in civilian affairs so that he could please the one who had called him into service. When I was in college, I was asked to play the part of Judge Danforth in The Crucible, which is a play about the witch trials. Uh, my mentor in that play was Darth Vader. They wanted me to be as evil as I could possibly be. Well, one afternoon, I went into my director, who was, became a great spiritual mentor for me, said, so how am I supposed to embody evil? How am I supposed to throw myself into that uh, wholeheartedly? And what he said changed my life in some significant ways. He said, what is the play about? I said, it's about the power of grace. He'd already taught us that. And I said, so, he said, so grace has to be victorious over evil in the end, right? I said, yes. He said, if that evil is small, what does grace look like? I said, well, probably doesn't show off as much. He said, right. The evil that is great, that must be, uh, that must be beaten by grace, increases the power of the grace that beats it. Listen, God made Satan. God created Satan. God didn't make him sin. He did that. But God did it with his purpose in mind, which was to show himself the mighty warrior that he is and to involve his people in a great cosmic battle against powers and principalities in heavenly realms. That's what Ephesians 3.10 says, which is our context here. What does it say? Ephesians 3.10. His intent was that now through the church, that's us, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. God is battling a great foe. That foe is way bigger than you, way bigger than me, way more powerful, and not afraid of us without Christ. But it's God's purpose to defeat great evil using his church, his flock. On December 31st, in 406, the Rhine River froze over and the Vandals, the barbarians, crossed the river and were able to, to climb the walls of the Roman cities and take over the Roman Empire after a thousand years. Guess why? Because they had forgotten about the battle. They say, in fact, that they had hired mercenary barbarians to guard the walls so that all the Roman generals could go and make statues of themselves and have parties. 
They'd forgotten to watch the gates. They had forgotten about the battle. I think sometimes I do the same thing. So I've divided Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 into three main points. And if you're taking those notes, you can write these down. I will send you uh, an outline. We've been sending out outlines on Monday for your personal use, your family use, your small group use. I've asked Kevin to also send the words of our songs because I find myself waking up on Monday morning humming the song but not remembering the words because I'm stuck to the screen on Sunday morning. So he's going to send those words so that you can sing those. And I encourage you to sing them out loud. Maybe just in the shower, so it's just for you and Jesus. Singing out loud is a way of doing battle. It's a way of telling your own heart. I am not what I feel. I am what Jesus says I am, and I will live like that. Power up, verse 10 to 13. Stand up, verse 14 and 15. And take up, verse 16 to 20. Power up, stand up, take up. First, power up, verses 10 to 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Power up. First, in a powerful person. Don't be powerful in yourself. If you hear from this rather strong exhortation this morning, i got to go flex my muscles, or i got to be smarter, you've not heard the message. The only place to get power is in the Lord. Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. All authority has been given to Jesus. Get close to Jesus. As close as you can be in him is the place of power. So there's a powerful person. A powerful place is in Christ. Be strong in the Lord. And we've preached over and over from the front of this Uh, building on Sunday morning, that Jesus is the door. Jesus is the way in to God. He came so that his body could be rent on the cross. And we're going to celebrate that this morning in the Lord's Supper. So that you could come in through him, exchange your life with him, and become part of his body. Paul says we are members of Christ In him you are powerful. In him you are hidden from the enemy. In him, don't get out of him. Come further and further in to Jesus. If you haven't come into him yet, you can do that right now. He says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's you that he stands at the door and knocks. And if you hear his voice and open the door, he will come into you and have dinner with you. He wants to know you. And as soon as he comes into you, you become part of him through his body, the church. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, a powerful person, a powerful place in Christ. But then there's another thing, a powerful opponent. 
Paul is very clear here that our battle is not against flesh and blood. There is no opponent that you can see with your physical eyes. Your brother, your sister is not your opponent. Please remember that, brothers and sisters. Your enemy is not your opponent. You're supposed to love your enemy. Your enemy is not your enemy. The devil and his demons are your enemy. They are not flesh and blood, and they are prowling around the flock, looking for one that they can devour. He is your enemy, and God is using us to attack his strongholds and tear them down. Power up. There's an old movie called The Bear. It's a French foreign film. You could probably find it online still, but it's the story of a giant grizzly bear who rescues a cub from some hunters who have shot the mother of the cub. He actually kills the hunters. It's pretty violent, so it's not for children. Uh, but then it follows this it's, it's an amazing movie because I don't know how they followed a wild bear through the tundra of Canada taking care of this cute little cub. At one point, the cub gets separated from this huge grizzly bear. If you've ever seen a grizzly bear, I mean, this thing is three or four meters tall when it stands up. They get separated, and there's a mountain lion hunting the cub. Sees the cub from a distance, and you watch this mountain lion prowling down the mountain and coming toward the cub. The cub sees the mountain lion, runs with its little short stubby legs, and it's trying to get away from the mountain lion. It runs out on a log that's hanging over a river, and the end of the log breaks and falls in the river, and it's very stressful, and you see the, the cub spluttering and floating on the log down the river, and the mountain lion's running along the river, waiting for a chance to devour that cub, and they come to a little dam of rocks so the, the log stops the, the cub climbs out on the rocks and he's looking at the mountain lion advancing coming closer and got his eyes fixed on him and so the cub does what he's been taught to do stands up and puts his hands up in the air and opens his mouth and gives the biggest roar he can and the mountain lion runs away turns tail and runs and then the camera backs out and there's this huge grizzly bear right behind the cub with his hands up going Rah! and when I saw that I got tears in my eyes and said Jesus that's you and I do what you taught me to do but the devil's not scared of me he's scared of you and when I'm in you when I'm close to you it's you scaring the devil away in me and you get you get you let me participate and do my little thing and you beat the devil through the likes of me. So power up in the powerful person of Jesus, in his mighty power, in the powerful position of being in the Lord, because your opponent is way more powerful than you are. The second thing is stand up. Let's read verses 14 and 15. Stand, therefore, he's just said it again, stand firm, the end of 13. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I've studied this passage all my life. And I never recognized until preparing for this message that the three verbs in those two verses are present perfect. If you're, you know your grammar, you know that means it's done. Having buckled the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having put the boots 
of the gospel of peace on your feet, stand firm. What does he mean? Paul lived with Roman soldiers. He saw them get dressed and undressed every day on ships, in cells, in courtrooms. He knew that they slept in their boots and belt and breastplate because they were, they, that took too long to put on in, in case of quick action. They leaned their shield and their sword in the corner and their helmet was there beside it. He's talking to believers in Jesus as I believe I am this morning in a great extent. If you are saved, you have the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The King James says, your loins girded with the truth. What's that? That means you don't believe what you feel. You tie up your intestines and your kidneys and your private parts, and you say, I will be what Jesus says I am, not what I feel. And you buckle that. And that's done in Jesus. If you have him, you have believed the truth about yourself, which is you are dead in your trespasses and sins, bound to the lake of fire with his enemy. And Jesus died to save you out of that state. That's the truth. And if you have given yourself to Jesus, the belt is on your waist. Your loins are girded up. Live in that truth. He says, stand firm having the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Believe the truth, who Jesus is, what he has done. Think, speak, live by the truth. The breastplate. He says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, Christ has imputed his righteousness to me. So if you're taking notes, stand up is belt, breastplate, and boots, all Bs. And if, you're, if you need to remember that this week, it helps to remember it's all Bs too. It's what you have as a, as a follower of Jesus, as a son of God, born again. You have the righteousness of Christ. My friends, only good people do good things. You don't become good by doing good things. You do good because you have become good through Jesus. Remember those old Roman movies like Ben-Hur? How many of you have seen Ben-Hur? Have you seen Ben-Hur? Okay, so remember those kind of fat German, uh, German uh, Roman generals and officers, and they'd put on this breastplate that had these amazing pec muscles, right, and this rippled stomach in iron, right? They'd strap that thing on, and everybody's like, whoa, you're a tough guy. And then they go into the baths or a meal or whatever, and they take that thing off, and their belly hangs out, right? Because they're not really all that. That's me with Jesus, right? The devil's not afraid of my muscles. But when I put Jesus on, and I have him on as a believer in Christ, I have his righteousness. Un, unblemished, holy living is mine. I am a holy person. I am a saint standing against the devil in Christ. Because I have his righteousness. I don't have to put it on. I don't have to do anything good for the devil to be scared of me. In my position in Christ, I have a breastplate of righteousness that keeps my heart good, that keeps my heart humble, and that keeps my heart protected against the accuser. See, he's going to send darts against me and say, you're not all that. You're not so good. Look what you did yesterday or this morning or look at your thought life where he's going to always accuse us. And we can say, yes, that's me, but in Christ, 
I am a new creature. I have his righteousness. And you need to back down because I am in him right now. You have the belt of truth. You have the breastplate of righteousness. And you have the boots of peace, the preparation of the gospel of peace. What does that mean? Your issues are settled. How many of you have issues? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> I've got them. The issues have been settled. Your feet are firm because you're not worried about tomorrow. You're not anxious about your sin, about you deserving or not deserving. You are prepared in the gospel, which finishes the, the, pays the price. He said, it is finished. You're at peace. Simeon, when he saw Jesus, he says, to guide our, path, our feet into the way of peace. What a beautiful picture of the boots of peace. Jesus guides our way into the, our feet into the way of peace. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Interesting, isn't it? Do your feet bring good news? Yes, they do, because you have to go and make disciples. You walk in the peace of Christ. John 20, Jesus says, uh, peace be with you. Remember, he arrives in the room that's shut, and he says, peace be with you. And then it says, and he said to them again, in, in verse 21, I think, peace be with you. Twice. Why? Two feet. Two boots. First piece was because they were scared to death. He said, peace. It's okay. Second piece was, peace be with you, and in the same breath, as my father sent me, so send I you. Peace to go. Peace to walk with Jesus, obeying him, because your issues are settled by the gospel. It's not as the world gives peace. It's Christ in the battle. I like this quote from John Stuart Mill. War is an ugly thing, but not the ugliest of things. A man who has nothing to fight for, nothing which he cares more about than his personal safety is a miserable creature who has no chance of being free unless made and kept so by the exertions of a better man than himself. Wow. Do you have anything to fight for? Here's the point. Jesus saved you for his purpose. Jesus bought you from the devil and from hell and from sin so that you could join the army, so you could be enlisted in his body, which is not sitting all the time, which is not just talking about it, which is marching against the gates of hell. That's worth fighting for. That's worth dying for. Most of being prepared for the battle is expecting it to be a war. It's going to last longer than you think. It's going to cost more than you think. You might lose a limb. Maybe some of you lost one this week. Remember that God is a man of war, and he's going to win the victory. But it's a war. I was reading about the Civil War this week, just remembering this story. July 21st, 1861, Washingtonians, that's Washington, D.C., trekked down the countryside to Manassas, Virginia, with their picnic baskets to watch the first battle of the Civil War. Now, they were so sure that the northern army was just going to squash this little rebellion in South Carolina that they took their picnic baskets and sat on a hill laughing and joking while the war started. The northern soldiers got firmly trompled, 
ran for their lives, running over the picnic baskets and taking some of those people with them. They didn't expect it to be a war. It lasted for four years. What are you expecting? Do you expect Jesus saved you so you can have a picnic till he comes? Do you expect church to be a bunch of meetings where we sit in nice air-conditioned spaces and talk about it? If your life is easy, it probably means you're either not saved or you're not very dangerous to the enemy. Because he doesn't leave people alone that are dangerous. Expect the war. And so the last point is take up. Power up. Stand up. Stand in who you are in Christ. But then you got to do something. Take up the shield of faith. That's something you're supposed to do and I'm supposed to do. Take it up. Pick it up. Put it around you. You know the first thing it means? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. We so quickly try to figure it out, don't we? We think Jesus needs our smarts to figure out what we're going to do next. When really what he needs is for us to trust him. And that shield represents blocking your vision because if you stick your head out around the shield, what's going to happen? You're probably going to get an arrow in the forehead. Hide behind the, the promises of God. Don't try to understand it. And advance in faith, in obedience. Because faith without works is dead. It's not your hiding place. It's your advance shield for you to push back the enemy and take ground for the general that bought you. Take up the shield of faith. By faith and not by sight, growing confidence in the promises and character of God, he who believes will not be in haste. I read that verse in Isaiah just this week or last week in my devotions. It's just so meaningful that, behold, I lay in Zion a strong cornerstone. I'm building my church. If you believe it, you won't be in haste. Don't be anxious. Don't think God is, needs your responsibility to get his work done. Just trust and obey. The second thing you're to take up is the helmet of salvation. Now that one puzzled me a little bit. Because we're not talking about getting saved again. You don't need to get saved again. You get saved one time. You have the belt of truth. You have the breastplate of righteousness. You have the boots of peace. There is peace between you and God. You don't need to receive him again. But what does it mean to put on the helmet of salvation? And I came to the conclusion in my heart that at least one thing it means is <clears throat> we have <clears throat> excuse me, the mind of Christ. Put on the mind of Christ. One time I was uh, late to something and I, I told Susanna, I just totally forgot. She was so frustrated with me. She said, you, we, the Bible says we have the mind of Christ and I know Jesus didn't forget. <laughs> I thought, well, I'm remembering it till today, right? Put on the mind of Christ. Think Jesus' thoughts and take every other thought captive. Say, no, that thought is not right. I am not a homosexual, right? I am not a homosexual. I will believe the truth, and I will put on my helmet of salvation, which is renewing your mind. Romans 12 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's easy, kids. Mufasa, 
Remember who you are. Right? Isn't that what Mufasa said? Remember who you are. That's what Jesus is saying to you this morning. You're not what you feel. You're not what you see in the mirror. You're not what you did in the past. Renew your mind. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind and pressing on to what lies ahead. Everyone who's mature has this attitude. Renew your mind. Today's a new start. Today's a new chapter. Today, I hope you start praying for the unreached people groups in the world. If you haven't done it up till now, set your clock for 938. And every time it's 938, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out workers into his harvest field. That's joining the battle. That's sending a, a lob of artillery fire up there to the front. Stand up, then take up the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. I was going to bring my machete, but I thought, well, that's probably scare somebody. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And what are you supposed to do with it? Let me hear you say it. Take it up. Say it. Take it up. Don't leave it on your bookshelf. Don't open it to Psalm 91 on your dashboard. Take up the sword of the Spirit. That means spend some time looking at it, reading it, memorizing it, meditating day and night in the Word, because by that we win the victory. That's our weapon against this great opponent that we have. Take up the sword. It's simple. It's really hard. It's not complicated. My daughter's doing it. She's getting baptized after lunch. I made her memorize Galatians 2.20. If you want to get baptized, you got to memorize a verse. Galatians 2.20. She's going to say it to everybody that stays for baptism. She's nervous as can be. But she took up the sword of the Spirit. And now she can tell the devil, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live right now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the sword. And it cuts through the crap of the devil. Take it up. All, uh, wait, read, memorize, meditate, speak, and obey the Bible. Don't just be a hearer of the word. Every morning when you get up and open the Bible, say, Lord, what do you want me to do about this? Or maybe it's a, just a belief that needs to change. But maybe you need to go out and talk to somebody. Change something. Take up the sword of the Spirit, soldiers. And then there's one more right at the end. Paul says, pray in the spirit at all times with all prayer and supplication. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Look at how many alls all the time. Not just your prayer moment. <clears throat> I'm not sure we should be saying amen yet. Amen is what Jesus says when he closes the doors on this creation and starts a new one, right? That's, he's the Amen. We should just be saying, see you later, Lord. Right? Pray without ceasing. Pray at all times, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and supplications. You know what praying in the, praying in the Spirit is? Let me show you. It's groans. It's saying, Jesus, you know. And I can't even say it. But I want you. I need you to go before me. I need you to help that person. He knows. But it's letting the spirit groan in the inner parts of your being. Maybe in the middle of the night when you can't sleep. Pray in the spirit all the time. Now I'm going to do something a little radical. 
if you're a member of Calvary, I'm supposed to be pastoring you. And I want you to stand up. If you're a member of Calvary, if you're a member of this church, I want you to stand up right now. Because there's seven commands in this passage. I'm going to speak those over. I'm not saying that you that aren't members are not Christians. You don't get to be a Christian by being a member of a church. But these are the people that I've been asked to shepherd, to pastor. And there are seven commands in Ephesians 6, 10 to 20, and they're not going to be on the PowerPoint. Like Green Berets, I want you guys to listen, hide them in your heart, and commit to whatever level you can obey them to do them. We've already talked about most of them. Seven orders to obey. Be strong in the Lord. Uh, can we advance that slide, Susie, to the next one? This will give you a little bit of idea where your armor fits. So command number one, be strong in the Lord. Number two, put on the full armor of God. Stand firm with the belt, the breastplate, and the boots of the gospel. Stand firm. Take up your shield of faith, your helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Be alert. Keep on praying for all the Lord's people, and especially that we may declare the gospel fearlessly. Your battle, here's just some ideas of how we fight. Your battle, soldiers of Jesus, is for faith versus doubt and fear. Your battle is to believe that you are a new creature in Christ, that you're not bound by your past habits. Your battle is for holy living versus selfish rebellion. Your battle is for love versus self-pity. The Bible says because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Put some wood on that fire. Your battle is for truth versus relative rationalism. Your battle is for peace versus fear. It's for reaching the ends of the earth with the gospel to show the manifold glory of God to the powers and principalities. And finally, it's for generosity versus hoarding. Got it? That's your, that's your mission. Now the rest of you stand with us. We're going to have communion in a minute. But as we bring this to a close, I want to boil it down to three applications. Three applications. Number one, believe. As you receive Christ, so walk in him. How do you receive Christ? By believing in Jesus. That's what you do over and over and over and over. Believe that what he says is true. You are who he says you are. He is who he says he is. Believe it more and more deeply. Believe, remember, he loves me, I am his, he is coming. Number two, repent. What was number one? Thank you. Number two, repent. Grow in conviction of my sin, unworthiness, and in the humble gratitude that produces. Paul grew in his knowledge of his own need till the end of his life. He said, I'm the greatest of sinners. 
He knew who he was and what Jesus had done on the cross more and more deeply. Repent again and again and again and again. God allows us to sin so that we can do that. And it's sweet to repent at his feet, to weep at his feet, and to receive again that freedom in his grace. What's number one? Two? Finally, love him. Love him. We love because he first loved us. Don't try harder. That's the wrong muscle. Remember that he loves you, that he went to the cross for you, that he bought you from Satan, and love him with all you are, and then you will keep his commandments. Jesus said it. It's not trying harder. It's loving more, because he who loves me will keep my commandments. Because you, if you don't keep his commandments, it's because you don't love him enough. Believe, repent, love him, and keep his commandments. And today, maybe that is go and make disciples of all nations. I'm going to send you a booklet this week uh, that Rick Denham has sent me called War. In fact, you can put that up there. Is that the next slide or did he skip it? No, it's not the next one. Well, we'll give you a, a QR code. There's a QR code back in the back. This is a little booklet made for new disciples in Christ. It's something you could go through with your kids. And it says, why did my life just get so hard? In other words, if you've accepted Christ, why isn't my life easy? The reason is we're at war. And you need to expect that war. And I think this little booklet does a great job of saying that. I want to tell you a story as we finish. Charles Spurgeon, great preacher in England, went on a tour of Rome. And when he went to the Colosseum, he was so moved by the cost that other believers had paid for their faith and the little cost he was paying that he asked the Lord, what can I do? And the Lord showed him a rock. I don't know if this was a voice or what, but he climbed up on this rock all by himself. And in front of the tour people and the, and the groups and whoever was there in the Colosseum, he sang this hymn by Isaac Watts. And you're going to have the, the words on your screen. And if you know it or if you want to learn it and sing it with me, go ahead. And I'm going to sing it to you, just like Charles Spurgeon did. Am I a soldier of the cross? A follower of the Lamb, and shall I fear to own his cause, or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease, while others fought? to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. As we prepare for communion, would you just quiet your heart? Believe, remember. Repent and tell Jesus how much you love him.
Father, it seems so confusing when things hit the fan and they hurt. But we trust you to be good, to be powerful, to be loving. And we ask you to increase our courage that we might obey more fully, more constantly, more filled with joy and hope and peace because we love you, because you loved us. Bless these elements that we're about to take, that they might be for us your body and blood, making us members of you even more deeply so that you can use us to defeat your powerful enemy. And we'll give you all the glory and honor. Amen.